0: Chapter six of Household Puzzles by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter seven Smoke and Bewilderment. It was the evening after the party. There was no family worship at the Randolphs that evening. The head of the household was stretched on the bed in his chamber, his head done up in brown paper, wet in vinegar, of which there was a stifling odor penetrating even to the sitting room. Maria sat at his feet like a statue, keeping guard just now at the sitting-room door, out of which hovered Mrs. Randolph every five minutes for the purpose of driving the poor victim on the bed half an inch nearer distraction by asking him how he felt now. He had the sick headache. The little table at his side held a cup of salt and water, a cup of strong tea without milk or sugar, a cup of soda water, a cup of brandy and water, and i don't remember what else being the result of the united efforts of the family to help settle his stomach of course they did no good i wish with all my heart i could have been there to whisk his feet into a tub of hot water and wring out a cloth with cold water to lay on the poor abused stomach covering it closely with two or three layers of flannel then the randolph family would have learned two new things but i wasn't there neither was any one else possessed of sufficient knowledge or common sense to understand that there is hardly any limit to the power of hot and cold water over nearly every sort of pain i have often wondered if water were to be procured of the druggist for two dollars a pint whether it would be used occasionally the door opened very softly and tom beckoning with his finger held a low-toned brief conversation with the statue and was about departing when mr randolph turned on his pillow take this vinegar thing off maria it does no good is that thompson yes father will you have a spoonful of the brandy no the spoonfuls don't help me tell thompson to get the envelope addressed to the church treasurer out of my left-hand corner drawer and bring it by one of the girls to the prayer meeting i ought to have been there myself to-night and mr randolph sighed heavily Some way I never seem able to be anywhere when I ought to be. Tom appeared in the sitting-room ten minutes afterward. Here's a paper Father wants taken to the prayer meeting tonight. It's addressed to Mr. Prime. Who's going? I'm not, Ermina said promptly. Are you, Helen? Helen shivered. Dear me, no, I'm not. I feel more like going to bed, ever so much, and it storms dreadfully. Just hear the wind blow ermina laughed why helen it doesn't begin with last night's storm does it tom not by a long shot said tom mercilessly but last night there was a party don't you know that circumstances alter cases i know if i had gone to a party in last evening's storm i wouldn't plead the weather against going to a prayer meeting this evening why don't you go then this from helen very snappishly because I don't want to, no other earthly reason. I'm not afraid of the snow any more than you are when you want to go to a place, but I don't feel in prayer-meeting humor tonight, so I stay at home. I go to prayer-meeting from a sense of duty, Helen said coldly. Tom laughed mischievously. Ermina stays at home from prayer-meeting because she doesn't want to go, and Helen goes when it is pleasant and there isn't a party and she feels like it, from a sense of duty. What is the difference between them, mother?' Mrs. Randolph looked puzzled and pained, as she always did when any words seeming to be sharp or uncomfortable reached her ears, and Tom hastened to add, "'Never mind, mother, don't puzzle your brain. That's one of of the things that no fellow can find out,' as the fellow says in the play. "'I tell you what, Ermina, you'd like to go to the theater." "'Well, how is this important document to get into Mr. Prime's hands? I know. I'll send it by Peter.' "'Does Peter attend the prayer-meeting?' asked Mrs. Randolph, great surprise in her voice. "'Bless you, yes, as regularly as the minister. I'll deliver this into his hands.' "'But perhaps he will not go out this evening, since it is so stormy, and—' "'No danger, mother,' Helen interrupted.' that class of persons always thinks that religion consists in going to prayer-meeting, no matter how severe the weather is. But people of culture and refinement know enough not to go, except when they feel like it, and there are no parties. With that sentence, Tom wisely closed the door on further conversation, and went off in search of Peter. The little light was burning over the woodhouse chamber. He took note of that before he went stumbling up the dark, steep back staircase. At the chamber door he paused. There were voices within. "'He's got company,' Tom said, hesitating whether to enter. "'No, I declare I believe the queer fellow is talking to himself. It's his voice and no other. Reading aloud about his friend Peter, perhaps. It doesn't sound like reading, either.' He stepped nearer the door, then stepped back and instinctively raised his hand to remove his hat. It was the force of habit, for Peter was praying. What there should be strange and bewildering about a young man kneeling in prayer to God, I cannot pretend to say, but Tom had a very queer feeling come over him as he waited. A curious desire to know what Peter could find to say, or what motive prompted him, mingled with a curious sense of the impropriety of listening to what was not intended for his ears he leaned against the stair rail and whistled softly to drown out the sound of the earnest words and waited until the voice ceased and peter was moving about the room then he gave a ponderous knock here's a document to be entrusted to your care that is if you happen to be going to church father wants it given to mr prime are you going out "'Oh, yes, I'm going to the prayer-meeting. What if you should go along with me, Tom?' If the invitation had been given under any other circumstances, I feel sure Tom would have been prompt in declining. But in spite of himself, he had a feeling of respect for Peter, new and undefinable. Peter had just been praying. Tom was not an idiot. On the contrary, he was an intelligent young man.' He sometimes thought he could not fail to know that it was a strange honor to be permitted to speak to God. Why he did not avail himself of this honor cannot be answered any easier than we can tell why hundreds of young men of intelligence refuse the same privilege. Still, he felt the instinctive respect natural to a refined nature for one who had just come from the Holy Presence. He could not quite laugh, even at the idea of his going to prayer-meeting." why should i he said absently why shouldn't you peter asked quickly and then tom laughed sure enough one question is as easy of solution as the other but i suppose the main reason is i don't want to peter was not a logician he did not know there was such a thing as logic he was not sharp at a retort or he might have involved Tom in endless bewilderments as to why a being possessed of common sense shouldn't naturally want to go where the King of Kings held audience. He was a simple, earnest-hearted boy. His answer was thoroughly simple and undiplomatic, so far as intention was concerned. "'I wish I ever had a fellow to go with me anywhere like other boys. It's awful lonesome to be forever alone.' TOM'S BRAIN WAS EQUAL TO ANY AMOUNT OF YOUTHFUL ARGUMENT. TOM'S HEART WAS TENDER. "'Poor fellow,' he said sympathetically. He understood that feeling. He sometimes felt very much alone. "'Would you really like to have me go with you, for sort of company, you know?' "'I'd like it awfully,' said Peter, with great earnestness. "'Then I'll do it. There's nothing to hinder, and I might as well be there as anywhere else.' Ten minutes later the two appeared in the Harvard Place Chapel. That chapel was a very pleasant spot under some circumstances. The carpet was bright and neat, the illuminated texts profuse and appropriate and neatly hung, the cane-seated, caned-back armchairs were arranged with regard to comfort and convenience, the gas fixtures were handsome in design and abundant in number why the sexton had thought proper to light but three burners for that large room cannot be with certainty ascertained why the minister or the sunday-school superintendent or mr prime or somebody didn't advise him to light more burners does not appear either but the consequence was plain the chapel presented the appearance of a dungeon to add to the effect the black hole in the floor at the northeast corner of the room emitted more smoke than heat the other black hole, in the southwest west corner, gave neither smoke nor heat, but was hopelessly cold and sullen. The sexton had seen fit to make use of but one furnace. "'We are late,' Peter had said, as they ascended the chapel steps. "'Awful!' Tom had answered, with a comical grimace, reserving his answer until they had entered the chapel, and discovered three women and one boy partially engulfed in the twilight that reigned just enough here to play puss in the corner, Tom further whispered, and they have seated themselves as if that were the object in view. I wonder if they could have got further apart if they had tried. Peter shook his head. We are late for all that, he said stoutly. Mr. Gordon said the meeting begun at seven, and it's pretty near a quarter past. And he isn't here himself. My, what a barn this is, "'A fellow will have to stand on the register to keep from freezing. "'If I had a match, I'd light some more burners. "'It looks like a jail.' "'Several more people arrived in the course of the next ten minutes, "'and Tom, who was industriously counting, reported nineteen in all. "'Lastly came Mr. Gordon, looking nervous and flurried. "'He apologized for his tardiness, "'said a matter of importance had detained him. "'Then the meeting was opened.' That is, Mr. Gordon tried to open it. He said, We will open the meeting this evening by singing the twenty-ninth hymn. It was long meter, and there were five verses. Mr. Gordon read them, then peered anxiously over his spectacles. I had hoped that our chorister would be here by this time, he said in troubled tones. Is there any one present who will be kind enough to lead our singing? Miss Keller, will you? apparently miss keller could neither sing nor speak she looked down at her open book nudged her companion with her elbow simpered a little and remained dumb yet miss keller was one of the leading singers in the harvard place choir i don't see but we shall have to dispense with singing mr gordon said after a distressing silence brother Payne, will you lead us in prayer tom listened curiously mr Payne was a good man given to using a large word in place of a small one, if a substitute could be found. His prayer sounds as if he might be reading it from the dictionary. The wicked fellow whispered to Peter, but Peter's head was bowed and his eyes were closed, the whisper passed by him unheard. Before the prayer was concluded, Tom fidgeted, which was perhaps not strange. Mr. Payne prayed as though he had forgotten all about that duty for weeks, and that nothing of probable or conceivable interest in church or state must go unnoticed now. "'A very good oration in honour of everything,' Tom told Maria afterward. "'But as for being a prayer, why, it wasn't any more than the arithmetic is.' Mr. Gordon, perhaps being familiar with his material, and expecting little help, then read a psalm, and spoke on each verse earnest faithful words but tom like all young gentlemen of his age and experience was a severe critic it was a good sermon maria very good indeed i should say what i heard of it but you see he appointed a prayer-meeting by this time the chorister had arrived and the long hymn was sung by the chorister and miss keller to a tune unknown by any of the other seventeen or any one else in all creation," Tom said. Mr. Evans prayed after that, ten minutes by the watch of the wicked looker-on. What he said few knew. He had chosen his corner most remote from the others, and his voice was never much above a murmur. A very few prayers and hymns of the length mentioned sufficed to fill an hour, especially when there are long-drawn pauses between each prayer. Meantime the room seemed to grow colder, the women shivered and drew their wraps about them. One or two even gained courage to cross the room and stand on the black hole in the floor, thereby monopolizing to a considerable extent what little heat there was. Altogether it was a forlorn, spiritless place. Mr. Gordon struggled hard, both with the memory of something which had detained him, and which still evidently troubled him, and the dispiriting influences which surrounded him. A stranger to earth and earthly prayer meetings might have imagined that the minister was pressing a great personal need of his own on the people, so earnestly did he plead with them not to let the time run to waste. I don't wonder at Helen going to prayer meeting from a sense of duty, and Ermina not going because she doesn't want to. I shouldn't think she would, I'll be hanged if I've been in such a dreary place before, since I used to get shut up in the wood closet at school when I was a youngster. Ugh! I'm chilled through to the bone. I shan't get warm again to-night. What upon earth do they have it so cold for? said Tom with energy as soon as he was safely outside the walls. It was cold, Peter said thoughtfully. Yes, he confessed it was mostly cold not so bad, though, on warmer nights, and one night, that time it thawed, it was awful hot there so that they had to open a window. I wouldn't have done it, Tom said. I'd have bottled it up somehow for future use. Why, it's abominable expecting people to sit quiet when they are freezing to death. What do they have it so dark there for? If anybody wanted to sing their outlandish tunes, they couldn't see to do it. Nobody will ever want to, though, I presume." I'VE HEARD THOSE WORDS THAT THEY SANG FIRST SUNG EVER SINCE I WAS BORN, AND I'VE NEVER HEARD THEM WITHOUT Rockingham BEFORE. WHAT SPLENDID TASTE FOR TWO PEOPLE TO YELL AND SCREECH AND GROWL AND THUNDER THROUGH A TUNE LIKE THAT IN PRAYER-MEETING, CHASING EACH OTHER LIKE A COUPLE OF PONIES OUT ON A race. I WONDER HOW MANY TIMES MISS KELLER SUNG THAT HALF A LINE OVER. I SAY, PETER, WHAT DO THEY HAVE IT SO DARK THERE FOR? PETER DIDN'T KNOW, HE WAS SURE. He confessed that his own opinion was they wanted to save gas. "'Save gas?' Tom repeated disdainfully. "'And they have it like an ice-house for the purpose of saving coal, I presume. It's unfortunate that there are not some more men in that church with hundred-thousand-dollar incomes. I'll tell you what it's for. It's to save paying attention to anything but their precious mills and stores and factories and selves. The puzzle is solved.' "'I've often wondered why church members didn't like to go to prayer-meeting better. "'I never shall again. "'The wonder is that they go at all. "'Such a cold, smoky, dismal old hole. "'It's a blessed thing that I'm not a minister. "'If I were, I'd kick pretty nearly every man in my church once a year at least. "'Good hearty kicks, too. "'Peter, what do you go to prayer-meeting for? "'Did you have a good time tonight? "'Yes,' said Peter promptly. "'You know, Tom, he took a walk with that other Peter down by the Sea of Galilee. "'Peter saw him, and that was about all the difference, I guess, "'because, you see, I believe he came and stayed by me this evening all the time.' "'What do you mean?' said Tom, awe-stricken in spite of himself. "'Why, just that he was there, you know. "'It is his own house, you see, and he has promised to come.' "'It is a puzzle yet.' Tom said, this time to his own inner self. The fellow is talking about something that I don't understand. And yet it is no sham. He feels it and means it. There's Helen and Ermina for one class of Christians, and there's Father and Peter for another kind. Mother is like neither of them. I wonder if there's another kind still. What a muddle it is! Chapter 6